Welcome to Thinking with Dr. Barry Whitney. This podcast series is compiled from Dr. Whitney's university class entitled Justifying Beliefs. The thesis of this class is that we all hold beliefs, and no matter what they are or how deeply we adhere to them, we owe it to ourselves to apply rational testing of our beliefs in order to aim to justify them. This class takes us along that journey, perhaps for the first time or more deeply. For further insights and materials mentioned in this series, please refer to the resource page on Facebook entitled Thinking with Dr. Barry Whitney. No one walked around claiming that you could have a vision, a mystical vision, a private esoteric vision about your godhood. It just didn't happen. It's out of sync with the time and place. He definitely wasn't a, a, a guru. The reason I mention the guru, the mystic, is because some liberal scholars trying to make him human and make him a guru rather than divine, as Christianity believes, claim without any evidence at all that Jesus must have, of course, traveled to India and learned the secrets of Hinduism. I've never heard anything so silly in my life, quite frankly, theologically. I had a colleague, though, at one stage who wrote a book called Two Masters, One Message, and it was all about how Jesus went to India and learned all the Buddhist and Hindu tricks and came back. It doesn't happen in first century Judaism. It's an absolute ridiculously silly theory, but it's an academic exercise, like I say. It's not your faith. It's an academic exercise. For one thing, Jews believe in a personal God, an active, interacting God. Mystics believe that somehow you can tap into an impersonal force. Call it what you want, but it isn't a, a personal God that's active. It's you that's active. You're somehow training your mind through, through mind techniques, altering consciousness to become one with this, this impersonal force called Brahman or the Tao or the void. That's not Judaism in the first century. It's impossible that Jesus could have been a mystic like that. Like I say, in the psychological profile, the motive, all of this stuff, there would be no motive to lie. Uh, he'd have to be a lunatic. I mean, to lie about divinity in a Jewish culture is instant death. And that's, in fact, what happened to him. He was killed. He believed it, but he was killed for, um, for, for saying it. Being a lunatic, like I say, just doesn't... I mean, it would, if, if he was, then... He must have been the world's greatest lunatic because he's convinced about two billion people that he was telling the truth, plus another few billion throughout history. Um, and that, that would be a, a greater miracle than the one he probably did. It doesn't, it's not that simple. Uh, like I say, I don't like that. It's in your text, so I had to deal with it, but that's one little point for me. Here are some other points that I think that might be, a, you start seeing a pattern here. This is what Jesus did and thought about himself according to what the Bible says. So, of course, yes, I'm aware that we have to look at what the Bible, whether it's trustworthy in a minute, but here, he says things like, for one thing, he spoke with his own authority. He didn't speak, he didn't say like all the other prophets, God says, do this. He said, I say. That was unique. That was blasphemy right off the spot. But that's what he said, and that's how he acted. That's how it was recorded. He spoke on his own authority. In his famous Sermon of the Mount in Matthew 5, and, and it, uh, some of you know this, that's the only reason I'm mentioning it, I'm not going to, you know, but he says six times, you have heard it said that Moses said, 
divorce is on these grounds, marital fidelity is on these grounds, um, fasting is on these grounds. You have heard it said, he says, but I tell you, and he changed the law. Now, there's two things that are going on there. He's speaking on his own authority, and he's changing the law of Moses. Both of those are blasphemous. You're supposed to say, God said to me, if you're a prophet, not I tell you. And he's, he's challenging Moses' law, which is sacred. These people were legalists. Their whole, their whole life was following the law, the Ten Commandments, and all of the other commandments. He just swooped that away. That's basically how he talked. He talked on his own authority, and he wasn't impressed with the, the way the law was being interpreted. He changed things like, you've heard it say that you shouldn't kill people. Um, and he says, but I tell you, if you even have a bad thought about somebody, you're sinful. You have heard it say you should not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you even look at a woman with a bad thought, you've committed adultery. Like, he made it even harsher. Like, he didn't water it down. He, he changed the law, but he, he thought the law was, was being interpreted far too liberally. Shocking stuff. He shocked people. They, it says over and over again, they were amazed at what he said. No one ever spoke like this. On his own authority, which is blasphemy to start with, to say you're speaking with the authority of yourself, you have to have God's authority to speak these religious matters. But he's making the law even harder than it was and, and thinking that they, they'd abused it. Um, he, uh, he referred to, he used an Aramaic word. Um, see, before 50 A.D., Jesus died around 30, 30 to 33. We're not sure which date, but I think it's 30. That's where most of the scholars are. Um, about 50 A.D., the Christians started writing and talking in Greek. It was a Greek world in their part of the world. But up until 50, they spoke Aramaic. That's the original language. There's good evidence that Matthew's gospel, one of the accounts of Jesus' life, was first written in Aramaic. I can tell you that because in 70 AD, one of the disciples of John, now some of you don't know who I'm talking about, so this is just, just for people who know. One of the disciples of John, called Papia, in 70 AD, mentioned that. This is like 40 years after. Mentioned that Matthew's gospel was first written in Aramaic. So that, what I'm saying is, is that when Jesus uses this special Aramaic word, it's, it's a sign of authenticity. Like it's a sign that this is probably what he said. This is not some Greek version. Some of these Aramaic words and some of these, uh, some of the early scriptures can be translated back into Aramaic perfectly. They flow. And that tells you that they were first written in Aramaic, but we don't have those Aramaic copies. There's an Aramaic Bible, which is the same thing now, but they translate back perfectly so we didn't corrupt it. That's amazing that it goes back in the same flow. But he used the word for God called Abba, an Aramaic word, A-B-B-A. Now, I know there's a rock group named after that. That's an absolute crime, but it's gone now. They're just... That's Sweden. Now... That, again, was blasphemy. Either the man's a liar, lunatic, or he really believed, as do Christians, that he is speaking as God. This is saying, I am, I'm calling God not... Like, you can't say the name of God in Jewish culture. God simply says, I am that I am. Jesus calls God like Daddy, like 
Papa. Like it's, it, it's like a, a personal term that was just outrageous. No one ever did that. No one else has done that. That caught people's attention. How could you call God Daddy? You're supposed to be on your knees saying, oh, mighty, powerful creator of the universe, and go on and on with your introduction. Jesus called him Dad, Daddy, and an Aramaic word. So there's, because it's Aramaic, we figure that's, that's, that's what he said. And that's, it, it, it doesn't translate well, so we've just left it as Abba, Abba, Father. But Father's too, too formal. It wasn't even that. It was, it was far more. It, it, it basically... Here's the story. If somebody said, did Jesus ever come right out and say, I'm God? And the answer would be no. But the, what he did is that he used phrases like this, which implied, obviously, that he and God were so tight, like, unlike any other human being, that after a few of these phrases and what he did, uh, you start thinking that he's not saying it outright because people wouldn't understand it, first of all, and secondly, they'd say it's blasphemy. But he used expressions like this. He spoke on his own authority. That's another way of saying, I have the authority of God. And he was accused of blasphemy. He said, God is Abba, Daddy. That's another way of saying, I am one with God. You're not. Like, there's something special here about what he... So he didn't come right out and say it, but he certainly um, gave enough hints that eventually we caught on. The disciples didn't get it until quite late. Other things... He, he told parables, stories. One of those parables in particular in Mark 12 talks about um, himself. A lot of them do, but this one, there's a vineyard. And this, this, this man owns a vineyard and he's leased it out to tenants. And eventually he wants those tenants to pay their dues, to pay their, pay their, their fees for, for leasing it out. And they won't do it. So he sends messengers to the vineyard and they're all killed. Jesus is saying, God sends prophets to the world and they're all killed. Then the, 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 the vineyard owner in Mark, 10, Mark 12 sends his own son. And of course they kill him too. And Jesus in that one is prophesizing his own death. But what I'm saying is, instead of just coming right out and saying, hey you Jews, I know you believe in one God, but I hate to tell you, but we've got to change our understanding. He doesn't talk like that. He told parables. This is besides speaking in his own authority, having this, this personal relationship with God, which is unheard of, unheard of, with this impersonal, powerful God that's just and awesome and fearsome. Now he's telling parables that immediately the Pharisees and the Jews understood he's talking about himself. He's, he's talking about himself as the vine owner's, the vineyard owner's son. And he's saying that you're going to kill me just like you've killed all the prophets. And, and that's in fact what happened. On and on it goes. He, he, he did things which were shocking to people. He accepted worship. And of course, worship is only due to God. Another point which was shocking, and he was, he was you know, run after with stones. And, um, he forgave people's sins. At, at one stage, he did it on a Sunday, which was a double whammy. Because the, uh, the Sabbath, the Jews were saying, you can't do anything on the Sabbath. These are legalists. They, they follow the law of Moses. And Jesus cured somebody with a withered hand on the Sabbath. And he didn't just cure him. He said, your sins are forgiven. And then, how, how dare you say that you have the power of God to forgive sin? And he said, well, what's the difference between healing him and saying uh, that, that your sins are forgiven? 
it's the same thing. He's saying, I can change the Sabbath. I can change your day. I'm, a, I'm beyond it. And in fact, he says, my father's still working, and so am I. That's my excuse when I have to work Sunday. It doesn't work for me, but that's my excuse. God, Jesus said, God's still working on Sunday. And, uh, and Jesus says in, in, in the Gospels that, so am I. I'm still working. Well, sometimes I have to too. But yeah, I'm not him, as Dylan said. You know, they accuse Jesus too, but you're not him. So it's, it's different. That's Dylan. That's before your time. Great, great phrase. But. He forgave sin. Um, he asked us to pray to the Father in his name. I'm just building up a case here. This is subtle. It wasn't subtle to the, to the Jewish authorities, but it was subtle to the disciples who didn't get it. It was subtle to the people, the masses, who wanted to make him king. And he resisted because, like I said last week, he had no political ambition. He didn't want to run the state. He wanted to change people's minds, their hearts, their understanding of God. It's a very different thing than trying to take over a government uh, in a country. He forgave sins, asked us to pray in the Father's name, He's the mediator between us and God, he tells us. He has some. He said something that no one else says in the Scripture. Normally when you pray in the Scripture, you say, blah, 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 amen. So be it. Amen. So be the truth. Jesus started with amen in the Gospel. He, he said, amen. And then he spoke. That's a subtle way of getting hit with a piano, maybe, but that's a subtle way of saying, I am not giving you God's pronouncement and then saying, so be it, amen. I'm giving you a pronouncement, amen, here it comes. This is what God says. No one does it. In, in the three first Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there are about 77 versions of this, amen. It's translated badly as truly, truly, I say to you, or verily, verily, I say this, but he really is saying, amen, so be it. This is, listen to what I'm saying. In John's Gospel, which was written later than the other three, um, he, has, uh, he says, Amen, Amen. But he says it first, not at the end. Very subtle, but in a Jewish culture, um, the message started to become clear that, uh, that he was saying that he's speaking on his authority, not just pronouncing something from God and then agreeing with it. He's saying, this is what I say. Amen. This is it. He also has, there's one, one scholar, Mohammed, I can't remember his last name, I, I almost gave you the reading, but he says, I, I believe this because of this point alone. Jesus said, I am, several times, I am. And you know, of course, that is the forbidden name for God among the people he's talking to. Um, he, ta he says things like, I'll give you the obvious one. Psalm 23, you all know, says, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Now, I know that's subtle, but what he's saying is, God, of course, the Lord is my shepherd. That's what David says a thousand years before. God is our shepherd. Jesus is saying, I am the shepherd. It's not even subtle, but the I am's. The big one, of course, is when he says, when he's being challenged by, by the Jewish leaders, um, he says, uh, they're challenging, they're saying, you're not even 50 years old. How, how can you speak these words like, 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 like you know more than Abraham and Moses? Jesus' answer is, and this is the one where they started picking up stones and they were ready to kill him on the spot. 
um, many times, but this was the big one. Because it's blasphemy. He's basically saying he's God. So all these people who say Jesus never said he's God, that's not what the scriptures are saying. He never said it outright, but what he said was to the Jewish leaders, before Abraham was, before he was even born, I am. Now, you can't get any clearer than that. You can say that, oh, he wasn't really saying he was God, but the people who were there said he was. They, they, were, they, were, they tried to kill him on the spot for blasphemy. There's, there's dozens of those. I am the true vine. I am the manna from heaven. I am the bread of life. I am all of these things. They're all taken from the Psalms and from the Old Testament, applied to God. Jesus applied the amen, I am sayings to himself. That alone has convinced a lot of people that there's something very unique about this man. And he's definitely, whether he's a lunatic or whether he's, in, whether he's you know, really what he says he is, there's no doubt that he's saying he and God are one. He's speaking with the authority of God. If he had said God says this, that's different. But to say I am. You know, critics will say, well, you'll find this stuff only in the Gospel of John. But, you know, I've, I found several in the other Gospels. You just have to know some Greek. Uh, when Jesus is walking on the water and the disciples are saying, um, you know, like there's a storm in their boat and they're fearing for their lives that they're going to drown. Um, Jesus says, have no fear. I am. Like, it's there in Luke. I am. Like, it, that's not how it's translated in English, unfortunately, but that's what it says in the original, in, in the Greek that, that's come down to us from, from the early manuscripts. It's amazing how English destroys some of this. I'll give you some of these more quickly. He did claim to be the Messiah several times. Um, and, of course, you know, he fulfilled all those prophecies about the Messiah. John the Baptist asked, who are you? And he sent back the message from Isaiah 61, which basically says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and I'm here to cure the lame and raise the dead and do all these things. That's his message. He didn't say, yes, I'm the Messiah, John. He said, he quoted Isaiah 61, which basically tells you what the Messiah is going to do. So that's how he talked. He talked in scripture and he talked in a slightly elusive way uh, because it took people quite a long time uh, it was almost an embarrassment how the disciples just didn't get it until almost the end they just didn't understand what he was saying um, because he didn't he didn't speak clearly for, for good reason uh, but again that's another story um, his first public reading he read Isaiah 61, just for the sake of argument, and he says, after reading Isaiah 61, this prophecy about the Messiah has been fulfilled in your presence today. And of course, they drove him out of the city and tried to kill him for that. Um, he basically told the people in his own synagogue, in his own hometown, the first time he got up to speak in a synagogue, he, he read Isaiah 61 and said, this is now fulfilled in your sight. I am the Messiah. So that, that's, that's not in doubt. He was executed for blasphemy. There's no other explanation, quite frankly. It was outlawed by Rome. You couldn't kill people. Um, Romans couldn't crucify people uh, for blasphemy. That had nothing to do with them. Um, but the Jews were so upset with his claim to divinity that they insisted on it, and that's what happened. Uh, it, that was a severe, horrible, disgusting death. Embarrassing, humiliating painful beyond beyond any description. We get the word excruciating pain from uh, crucifixion, the word crucifixion. 
If you're in excruciating pain, it's like suffering on a cross for three hours. There's nothing worse. Even the Romans were repulsed by it. It was disgusting. It was naked. It was it was it was it was humiliating. It, it, and and like the, the beating before was just almost intolerable. Most people died before, but the Romans were so well trained that the idea was to was to try to half kill them before so they wouldn't survive too long on the cross because it was just just a horror. But Jesus was being crucified on a day just before a festival, the Passover. So they wanted him to die fast, and mercifully it was like three to six hours. The disciples called Jesus Lord, which is another name for God. Um, Acts 2 and Acts 3, which we think is it's Peter's sermon. Peter's his number one man. Um, Peter was the leader that Jesus appointed. That's why Rome, the Church of Rome Catholics, believe that Peter was the first pope. Jesus appointed him as the leader when Jesus left. Peter's sermons that he gave 50 days after the, the crucifixion are recorded in Acts 2 and 3, the Acts of the Apostles. He's talking about Jesus rising from the dead, Jesus' divinity. This is, this is early stuff. This is one of the arguments that this is not made up later by Paul or made up by somebody in the early church. Peter's first sermon, 50 days after the crucifixion, talks about about the resurrection and about the divinity of Jesus in Acts 2 and 3. Jesus definitely was unique. Um, he was sinless by all accounts. He said many times when uh, he was called Jesus Christ the righteous. Um, people said he's innocent. Many, many times he said, what are, you, what are you accusing me of? What have I done that isn't true? What have I done that's sinful? He lived the perfect life, apparently. That's, that's what the scripture says. Um, there's a lot of cases you can make for his uniqueness, not just the prophecies, but his sayings, his actions, his deeds. I've got more, but I think that's enough. I, the point here is, we have to get to the biblical part now, to, to, because this is where this is contained. Why do we trust these words? How do we know he said it? Now, of course, we'll never know conclusively he said it, but I don't think there'd be a Christian church if he didn't. I, I don't think there would have been a, a Christianity if he hadn't said these things, but let's just see what we have with the biblical stuff. Jesus Actions, words spoke volumes. Um, like I say, they, it took a while before they understood what they meant. Evidence external to the Bible that corroborates what the Bible says. It's one thing to say the Bible says this, I believe it. But does anybody outside the Bible confirm it? Uh, do they believe it? And uh, it's you know, I'm saying this because there are actually people still alive in the world who, who claim that Jesus never lived. The whole thing's a myth. It's insanity, but people will do anything without thinking. It's easy to say it, but prove it. Let, let, let's see some proof. These people, and I've given you some of their dates, uh, Tacitus, he, he was a, um, a writing around what I'm looking at is about, he wrote a history uh, a Roman history from the Trojan War up to the year uh, 64. Uh, and, he, and, and the year 64 was when Nero, the emperor, uh, set a fire ablaze, we think, uh, and he blamed the Christians, and Rome burned to the ground, at least the ghetto part of Rome. What I'm saying is, what Tacitus does here, and I, I won't do all of these because you have this text. It's in Fernandez. I haven't added anything to it. Um, and if you want a second version of this, 
I've given you two versions of this. One is in Carm, and one is in Fernandez. What this is, is, let me show you the title, is Corroboration of the New Testament by Early Non-Christian Writings. Now, Tacticus, in about 55 AD, mentions Nero persecuting Christians in Rome. He slaughtered hundreds of Christians. That tells you something, by the way. That tells you from the time Jesus died, 25 years later, Christians were in Rome. They were in the capital of the empire. They, they moved and spread and grew quickly. And that, that, that corroborates what the Bible says about how 5,000 were converted on the very first day when Peter preached 50 days after. They were in Rome, at least in, in 55. Tacitus also tells us, this Roman historian, that Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate during the reign of Tiberius Caesar, which was 14 to 37. I, I, I can't pause on every point or we'll never finish, but believe me, liberal critics have been saying until the last 20 years that there was no such person as Pontius Pilate. The whole thing's just all made up. Well, we've now discovered archaeologically references in stone of Pontius Pilate existing. All of these things are being verified. It's like the critical arguments are just falling one after another as archaeology finds all this stuff. All the biblical cities. Nazareth is all, where's, you know, in Bethlehem and all these places. They're still there, but there are tons of biblical cities that Jesus talked about that seem to never have existed. Well, we're, we're finding them all archaeologically. So this stuff is being verified by these. Th this is part of the Archaeology and these non-Christian writings are telling us that what happens in the scripture happened. Um, Suetonius, he is the secretary for the emperor Hadrian. He talks about riots in Rome where Christians and Jews are, are fighting. And the Jews were expelled. They liked the Christians better because they had such good morals. They loved each other and they loved everybody. And they didn't fight. They, 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 were, they were not, but they, they had riots with the, with the Romans. And Suetonius also talks about Christ, Christus, he calls him, a Roman version. And, and uh, again, like, I mean, he's alive. Josephus is a Jewish historian. He's no, enemy, he's no friend of Christianity. Around 52, he tried to explain, um, well, he talked about John the Baptist. He talked about Jesus. He talked about James, the brother of, 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 um, of Jesus. Like these are real people for him. Thallus, in 52, he's a Roman historian again, and he's trying to talk, he's trying to explain to the emperor in one of his letters about why there was this darkness around the time of Jesus' death. Uh, the crucifixion, as the Bible says, the world turned black, uh, dark. Um, now, his explanation was that it must have been an eclipse. But unfortunately, it was a full moon, and you can't have an eclipse during a full moon, so the explanation doesn't work. It turned dark, and no one's explained it. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us for the next episode as the journey of justifying beliefs continues.